Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your... Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let one of our returning guests come back, Mr. Brandon Yarbrough. Did I say that right? Anywhere close? Yeah, that's perfect. I... Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Name's Brandon Arbor, like you said. Uh, you know, I'm the creator of of, of Reentry. And um, at the moment, you know, those of you that know, you know, we've got Reentry Lone Wolf in progress right now. And uh, we are slowly working on uh, slowly working on getting to Reentry Snowfall whenever we get to that point. Outstanding. And so we have him, we had him in his co-creator of this uh, digital property that's airing right now on YouTube. Um, we had him on episode 159. If you don't remember, you didn't listen, we will link to that in the show notes. Um, so that is, you know, uh, available for you. And then the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. So I think, Brandon, you were in some of the same writing groups. So when you were getting started, you just reached out and said, hey, come on, can we come on the show? And the rest, as they say, is history, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think uh, I think we met through the uh, the, the Galaxy's Edge uh, book club. Oh, that's right. You are you are you're in that fan club too. Yep, that yeah. would be it. So that is how we first found them. Now, because you've been on here once before, and we did the original uh, religion questions, we got to mix it up a little bit. Are you ready for this? Always. All right, Stargate, Eureka, or Warehouse Thirteen? Stargate. Uh, definitely Stargate. Grew up right, watching. Always it. a most excellent choice. What did you think of Stargate Universe? Uh that one. It's actually been a while since I've uh, since I've watched it. For the most part, a lot of my Stargate uh, memories really come from when I was a kid watching it with my mom. Okay, that's fair. Um, did you have a? So did you watch the original movie or did you watch the um, SG One when it came on TV? Uh, SG One. Uh, since we were. Again, my mom was really, really big on the uh, the sci-fi channel. So, you know, whenever, every time it would pop up, I'd be right there with it. Nice. So that was, dear listener, for, for you younger types, that was when you had to be dedicated to watch your show. Because in the beginning, there wasn't DVR, which is how you recorded it before you did binge watching stuff. So you had to want it. You had to be in your chair in front of the TV at whatever time it aired locally. And you had to wait up for it if something bumped it and it ran late. So you had to really, really want it. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. Just somebody yelling across the house, it's back on after a commercial, sprinting yeah. over furniture. And that, uh, that, um, that amazingly quick run where everyone's trying to scramble to the nearest bathroom uh, on commercial breaks because you couldn't pause it. <laughs> Hell yeah. That was, and if you if you missed an episode, you just had to wait till the summer for the, for the repeat season and hope it all made sense. Yeah. And that's a if you got lucky to catch it again. Yeah, because they never aired it at the right time. So, all right. Because we are polytheistic, uh, The Witcher, Shadow and Bone, or The Magicians? Definitely The Witcher. For sure, The Witcher. Uh, games were awesome. Uh, show was solid, though. You know, we all know what's going on with that, you know, with the, uh, with the recast. So that, uh, we'll see what happens there. That's okay. How I, I've watched some of the episodes and the way they did the camera work just didn't work for me. And the chronological 
uh, it wasn't linear, so it was hard for me to follow if I because I didn't know the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the fight scenes that I saw snippets of on various review channels were really good. Um, how true was it to the game lore, since you're familiar with both? Uh, first, first season was decently close. Uh, second as well. Um, I mean, we'll see how the third goes. Uh, but I know for a fact there were a few things that they did change, some characters that they kind of, you know, kind of swapped out. But I can definitely agree. The, uh, you know, kind of telling it out of order was absolutely something to get used to. Uh, it was definitely confusing my first watch through, but I think I kind of come to to kind of appreciate how they did it. It was certainly an interesting way of telling a story, that's for sure. Yeah, it just was too much for me with my brain-damage-riddled head. I was just like, <laughs> nope, peace out. Um, but some of the cinematography from some of the scenes I have ta- seen, because you know they, people will do reviews or snippets of this scene or that will pop up on YouTube, and they've all they've all been solidly done. I just couldn't get into the story. Yeah, but it definitely looks interesting. So, we here at the Blasters and Blades podcast like both the fantastical and the scientific. But what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? First, I want to say was probably sci-fi. Um, actually, no. Let me back that up. First was definitely fantasy. You know, he uh, reading stories as a kid of you know knights fighting dragons and you know okay. things like that, and then eventually kind of getting into sci-fi once I kind of discovered Star Wars at a young age. It was it was absolutely a wrap from there, and then just been kind of obsessed with sci-fi from uh, ever since then. So, what was your first memory of speculative fiction? Was it watching the uh, the Knights and Dragons or reading it, or was there something before that? Like, what was the first time you experienced speculative fiction? I think the first time I really experienced it at a point where I was actually old enough to understand it, so probably around five or six, um, would have definitely been fantasy. So more so, you know, uh, Narnia books. Uh, you know, uh, Charlie Bone, so on and so forth, you know, Harry Potter, you know, the usual kid stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, for kids of a certain age, I imagine Harry Potter was the introduction to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I think I was already in the army when the Harry Potter books started coming out. So what is it about speculative fiction as an umbrella genre that you love so much? I mean, for me, it's, you know, as a from a writing standpoint anyway, it's definitely being able to tell virtually whatever story that I want, uh, especially with this series where we're able to go through and kind of take the best parts of a few different sci-fi series, really, and then be able to kind of turn that into something that we've always wanted to see. So I think for me, that just that just does it for me. Okay. So how did your love of, you know, speculative fiction as a genre, so the the reading the stories of Camelot and Knights and Dragons and St. George and all of that, evolving into watching science fiction and the magic of, of technology, how did you transition from enjoying that as a consumer to deciding you're going to tell your own stories in that space? Uh, it was definitely around my high school years um i've been writing on and off all my life but i never really got serious about it until probably about the ninth grade or not ninth grade probably 11th but i think that's kind of when i started seeing that shift in you know 
just wanting to just strictly consume it to me wanting to go, go through and create it. Uh, so I had creative writing classes, like I mentioned in our, in our, in our last talk. And, um, you know, I wrote Halo stories. I wrote, you know, some Tom Clancy stuff, uh, you know, and I wound up realizing that I absolutely loved this stuff. I, you know, really did. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed and, you know, now we've got a, now we've got the series and that's just been a real pleasure to work on. So how did that like, so you answered from the read from the writing point, but you're also a narrator because you narrate your own stories and you do them in sort of a cinematograph. Well, you do them in a unique way. It's not just a straight reading. You guys are sort of making your own digital content uh, in a way that's part movie, part audiobook, part stage mm -hmm. adventure. So how did you get to the point where, you know, you're in high school, you're taking um, creative writing to now you're also doing essentially voice acting work? Uh, that kind of came about when I, uh, this was, when was this? I want to say about 2019 or so. Uh, so I just got out of high school probably three years prior. And uh, there was this, uh, this Halo project that I came across that, um, uh, Marco Suya, I believe his name was, uh, that was, he was working on. And I just saw that he was looking for voice actors at the time. And I had zero voice acting experience whatsoever at that point. And I just, you know, and I was always kind of taught, you know, if you ever see an opportunity that you might be interested, interested in, you know, take it. And so I did ended up getting the role of an Oni agent, but unfortunately that project never actually came to fruition. But that's also where I kind of started to kind of fall in love with the whole thing of, you know, doing the occasional voice acting. I don't necessarily do it that often. I'll do it when I need to. But, you know, I think that's kind of where I started kind of falling in love with that aspect of, of what I do. So you really, so you really kind of stumbled into it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was entirely by chance. I just followed the guy because, you know, his artwork was awesome and that was really about it. Okay. So were you surprised that when you, when you auditioned that first time that you got picked? Oh, absolutely. I actually could not believe it. Uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking, okay, yeah, they're probably just going to pass on me. They're just going to go through and grab somebody else and then not seven minutes after I did the audition, uh, they told me I got it. Nice. That's not bad at all. Yeah. So, um, did you stay in contact with any of that? Um, after, after that failed in, um, venture, did you try any others or you sort of put that on the back burner till the reentry project? Uh, that was kind of on the back burner till, until re-entry, uh, but I just still do keep in touch with him. Um, he's actually working on his own uh, animated series at the moment called Air of Time. Trailer's out on YouTube. It looks awesome. Uh, they are absolutely doing a damn good job with that, and I, you know, I wish them the best with it. But, uh, but yeah, um, you know, voice acting for me kind of got put on the back burner until I started, you know, working on reentry. Okay. So many narrators let their own real life experiences influence the way they 
they tell a story with their with their vocal cords. So were there any specific formidable moments that you think shape the way you you present the story to the world? Uh, well, you know, kind of the preface, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not prior military, not prior law enforcement or anything like that. I just have a lot of friends that are. But when it comes to, at least when it came to the couple of characters that I did voice in the first episode, I kind of more so relied on how I know for how I know I sound uh, during even a even a paintball match. You know, I know what I sound like when, you know, I've got paintballs flying over and I'm going through and I'm directing guys. So I kind of leaned on that experience to kind of drive how I thought that that particular character at the time should sound. So because you write military stuff and you do paintball, so what I know there's different ways to do paintball. So can you give a little bit of, of information on that so I can sort of try to picture what you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. So everybody knows about, you know, more so speedballers. You know, it's those, those are the, you know, the colorful guys in the jerseys with the hoppers on top of their guns that look like they're from outer space. What we do, me and my team, Task Force 83, we primarily focus on Milsim MagFed paintball. So all of our markers are extremely realistic, most of them based off of M4 and AR-15 platforms. And we and we do have a few prior male guys in the team as well. And um, for the most part, we focus on the more realistic aspects, you know, utilizing actual tactics. Uh, so bounding, you know, movement under fire, being able to go through an assault through a location uh, and being able to do these things properly all while wearing, you know, plate carriers, helmets, so on and so forth. And it's uh, it's definitely a different way of doing paintball, but we, as a team, we believe that that's what the future of the sport is. Okay. So, and then you, you use that now. Are any members of your team actually... Um you know, trained military or did you guys sort of learn on your own? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of them that are, uh, one of them is prior infantry. One of them was, I believe a mechanic. Uh, we've had a prior contractor on the team as well. Uh, you know, we've, and, and even just outside of the team, we've also worked alongside, you know, guys that were former green berets. We've worked alongside guys that were in the 75th, uh, you know, just a lot of guys that did this shit at the highest level and being able to work along the, on alongside those guys is just, it's a treat to be able to see how they shoot, move and communicate. And it, it just drives us to go through and do better. Okay. So when you listen to, um, so obviously you're, you're telling essentially not really an audiobook cause you're, you're airing it on YouTube and soon to be TikTok and, and Rumble and some of the other sites we, we talked offline. But mm -hmm. do you listen to other audiobooks yourself um, as a as a consumer? Yeah, definitely. Um, now, well, it's not necessarily an audiobook, but the one of my main influences for reentry, Lone Wolf in particular, was uh, Hunt the Truth from um, from Halo. And yeah, as bad as Halo 5 was, you know, as much as that ad campaign was just a lie, Hunt the Truth is quite possibly one of the greatest things that 343 has ever put out for the series. Uh, 
it's strictly audio again you know not unlike what we're doing now and it's it's incredible you know the voice actors did an amazing job they told an an awesome story that delved deep into halo's lore that you're just not going to get out of the games and uh hunt the truthless definitely are one of my main inspirations for lone wolf Okay, and um, so just so for from your from the creative perspective, you are the the writer and the narrator, or is your co creator also writing for you? Uh, I pretty much do all of the uh, all of the writing. Um, our narration for the series at the moment is done by Tiffany Levette. She plays uh, Cara Snow. And she has just absolutely killed everything that I have sent her. She is she is incredible. And honestly, I definitely think that she's going to be one of the biggest names in voice acting one day. But for the most part, uh, you know, all of the writing, um, just a lot of the back end stuff. So audio, casting, uh, things like that, even down to the photos that are on our instagram i'm pretty much handling all of that so you're doing the writing you're doing some of the voice acting but you're doing like character lines and then she's reading the main um narrator voice stuff y yes okay um so not a traditional like when people think narrator they think reading the whole thing so you're doing more of an ensemble cast is that yeah. right yeah absolutely um, how many, like, are there other guys and girls involved in reading that, or is it just the, you and, and, and her? Well, she plays the, uh, the main character, um, but there are a lot of recurring characters. Uh, our, the, my co-creator, Aubrey Wilson, uh, who was on last time with me, uh, he's playing Imka Jabulani, a um, arms dealer of Jamaican descent. And also, he's going to be playing a character that I can't speak too much on. Uh, but that's going to be later on in Lone Wolf, and there are some big things planned with that character, but we can't really tell anybody. Uh, but yeah, our cast is actually pretty big so far. You know, we've got a lot of character slots that that are filled already, and then even more that we've got planned. So our cast is uh is pretty solid so far. All of them are extremely talented and professional, and Honestly, if anybody's working looking for any voice actors for any project, I would I would suggest them one hundred percent. One hundred percent. We'll have to uh, reach out with you post show to get some of their contact information. We can always do more narrator profiles. We do enough uh, with authors too, but you know it's nice to hear people creating it with their you know with the uh, with the audiobooks. Mm -hmm. um, I think audiobooks are a great tool for people that have you know reading issues, people that are visually challenged. So I think, you know, encouraging more of it and, and highlighting that is, is valuable too. So speaking of voice actors and, and audiobook narrators, do you have a favorite? My favorite at the moment, that is a, that's a difficult choice. Like I've got a, probably a top three, um, but all time favorite. That's, that's difficult. Uh, okay. Man, all-time favorite would probably have to go to uh, Eisen's voice actor from Bleach. He was he, <laughs> he was incredible. He absolutely killed that role. Okay, so 
let's transition away from the nerd stuff and you as a creator and talk about things from a fan angle. So you're relatively new. Um, you're the kind of creative process that people tend not to jump into until more is complete. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that's the death of a lot of series, but you know, you guys are plugging away and I, I can respect the grind. But um, since you're in the building building phase, um, are there any creative benchmarks that you're looking forward to? So like your first autograph request, maybe um, seeing somebody out in public rocking your merch, like what what would be the the thing that happens or you can say, you know what, I've made it? Mm-hmm. I think right now I am most looking forward to just somebody just coming up and just asking about the series. Uh, you know, it could just even be just simple stuff, you know, like, hey, you know, what's your, you know, what is your your mindset when it comes to, to this character or why did you write this this particular section this way? Just... You know, just somebody going through and just asking questions, honestly, would make my day at this point. Okay. I would think also maybe having someone recognize your, you vocally, be like, wait a minute, I know that voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be awesome, too. <laughs> so this is the part where we talk about everything you've created, both uh, from the written word to, to narrated. So what all have you, is this your only project or are there others? Uh, there are a couple that I'm, that I've kind of got on the back burner. Uh, now, this isn't necessarily common knowledge, but reentry does take place in a universe that I was writing years and years ago that is actually based on my paintball team. And um, I never actually got around to finishing it. It was going to be a book. Um, and essentially, it would, would follow Task Force 83 as this almost fledgling unit that pretty much kind of starts off as a just traditional special operations team but then eventually kind of grows into this this unit where they have no government oversight you know so they're able to prosecute whatever operations they want uh they still fall under the dod but for the most part they don't have all of that red tape to go through and cut through but i was writing that it was going to be a uh, a book and I just never finished it. Now I'm thinking about kind of going back through and uh, and rewriting it because a decent bit of it was before I really knew a decent bit about the military, and at least not as much as I do now. And um, the, I think the only reason why I would have to rewrite it is because now it is too similar to the terminal list, which if you guys haven't read that, that is an incredible book, Jack Carr did a great job there i am not familiar with that one but i'll have to check that out so that um that is extensive now are you um writing any other stuff at the moment besides this like that's in progress or are you sort of one project at a time i know some people have project add and some people are like nope like a bull in a china shop i'm just going straight through it one at a time (laughs) uh yeah so that definitely kind of brings me into one other thing that we are working on for the series uh, we are working on, at least kind of on and off anyway, we are working on a spinoff of Black Antler, which is the PMC that showed up in episode three. And we are working on something called Reentry the Reporter. I cannot say anything about it because it has massive story implications. But uh, all I can really say is that we're working on it. 
Okay. Um, are you are you excited by what you've got so far? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think um, I think by the time that Lone Wolf is done, it's definitely going to redefine sci-fi. Bold words. Well, let's see if you can deliver. But um, so, can you give for those of us who haven't, or those of us <laughs> for those who haven't listened to episode one fifty nine, could you give a, like I don't know the Reader's Digest version of what reentry is before we we dive deeper? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been kind of saying this a lot lately. Um, reentry is what happens when Black Ops meets the Expanse with a healthy sprinkling of twenty first century warfare. It's a military sci-fi series with a big emphasis on tactics and telling an engaging and complex story that you just probably won't find anywhere else you know you're going to be able to see espionage you're going to be able to see direct action raids low vis actions you're still going to have a lot of that typical sci-fi flair that you're that you've come to expect you know you're still going to see things like directive energy weapons and you know ships going at faster than light but it's definitely a different way of doing sci-fi especially with a lot of the guys that we do have helping us with this project that are prior military so where you're going to kind of start to see shifts in how we go through and do certain things even down to the weapons Okay. Well, we're going to pause for a moment before we dive into you as a narrator. And, you know, as, as you answer those questions, obviously you'll be peppering in as it applies, because this is your uh, piece de resistance at the moment. But mm -hmm. first, we are going to pause while we shamelessly shill for the man. And it's a man this time, because I'm sponsoring it, baby. <laughs> they were called the Human Marine Corps, but their cause was never humanities until the sleeper awoke. A century ago, all but two members of Lance Scipio's unit were executed for bringing dishonor to his regiment. Now he wakes into his strange new time and is tasked with whipping into shape the worst squad of misfits in the entire human Marine Corps. The price of failure? Death. This completed series is set in the worlds of the hit Human Legion series by Tim C. Taylor, now released with a special novelette titled No Marine Left Behind, Freedom Can Be Won. So dive into this debut novel by author J.R. Handley as he takes you on an action-filled sequence of military science fiction glory. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. And uh, if you're a box set kind of person, there is a box set with bonus content in that one too. So there are two short stories if you add it all together and and uh, some of the back uh, in stuff, uh, some of the character sheets and whatnot that I created as I helped... Um, Add the chaos that is military organization to Tim Taylor's amazing Human Legion universe. With that being said, let's talk about the the awesome narrator that brought us here. So um, you mentioned that you're sort of self-taught originally. You just applied on a lark to the, to the Halo project. Since then, and since you've decided to get involved with narrating some of your own project, have you started any sort of training courses or are you still just you know, winging a prayer. Well, not a winging a prayer. That implies you're not good. Are you just sort of self-teaching on your own? Uh, for the most part, um, you know, if I've got to go through and do anything, I try to keep it simple. Um, so, because like, I am kind of still, you know, like you said, I am still kind of doing this self-teaching kind of thing. Been thinking about kind of maybe going through and doing a uh, a couple of courses, but for the most part, yeah, it's um, 
pretty much just getting after it where I can, if I need to, just for smaller roles in an episode. So uh, Autumn is her name. I can't remember. She's one of the uh, audiobook narrators we profiled. I can't remember the episode number, but in the show notes of that one, she listed a lot of amazing resources because she's actually went and got her degree in this. Um, so that might be something for anybody who's aspiring to be a narrator to check that episode out. And um, most of the narrators out there, if you're looking to get into the business, they're so happy that people are interested in doing it and not let AIs do it, that they're generally pretty happy to uh, encourage the field. So I think you'll find most of them willing to help you, um, mm -hmm. you being obviously Brandon, but also just you, the generic listener. So if that's something you're interested in, you should reach out yeah. and, um, and, and find out more. Yeah, I'll definitely go through and take a look. Uh, now, you mentioned right now you're only narrating your books, but uh, that could change. You never know. People could listen to your your work with this project and be like, man, I'm going to hire this guy. So mm -hmm. do you think you have a specific genre you would want to narrate, or would you be open to just about anything? Uh, I'd probably be open to just about anything, um, mostly even, even just from a uh, from a practice standpoint and being able to just go through and kind of build out that range and not just kind of stag my, stagnate myself and only strictly work within one genre. Okay. Um, so what do you do as it is when you're preparing for your own audiobooks? Like what do you, or audiobook for your own YouTube uh, show, which is how you're doing it. Um, what do you do to prepare? Uh, well, it is, it's quite a bit. Um, so like I said, I'm pretty much handling a lot of the uh, the like work here. Uh, for the most part, you know, go through and I will always start with the script first. You know, trying to figure out where I already know where a story is going to go before I even write it. And that's why it's kind of always been my just my writing process. So I'll go through, start off with a script. And I think once I kind of do the intro and the first few lines, uh, once those are written, for the most part, it's just smooth sailing all the way through. I'm able to go through and, and write pretty quickly. And then from there, if I need to go back and adjust certain things, then I'll go through and do it after the fact. But um, prep-wise, you know, it's writing, it's, um, you know, getting lines from everybody. And then kind of from there from an audio standpoint is figuring out what everything's going to sound like everything from the room tone, whether the room tone is in a ship or a bar or whatever. Uh, so, you know, handling a lot of the background audio and then going through and handling the bass audio, then background stuff. Uh, and then from there we'll go through do visuals. And then after that, we're pretty much done. So you're not just the author of the content and, you know, one of the voice actors in the ensemble. You're also the project manager then. Yeah. Does that change how you narrate now that you've seen? Okay. So obviously your first narration would have been what you did for Halo. Mm -hmm. Do you think how you approach things doing the narration has changed since you've had to do the back end now as the manager of the project? Uh, I think to an extent it has, um, you know, with the, the first episode absolutely took forever for me to work on. And from there, I kind of refined my, my process in terms of getting an episode out. Right. So I'll through and I'll start, I'll kind of break things up into scenes. So that way I'm not kind of 
That way I don't have all of the audio just on one file because that's that's just impossible to go through and kind of keep track of. It's just a massive pain. So I'll go through, break things up, kind of take things a scene at a time and, um, you know, just kind of mess them all together from there. So, yeah, I, I definitely think kind of having seen both sides that my work process has absolutely changed for sure. Okay. So when you do the narration on your end, do you do anything um, to prepare or do you just, you know, cause you're just, you're just reading the dialogue, correct? You're not actually reading the, the third person sort of God's eye view parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I pretty much will just do kind of in scene, you know, dialogue for, for certain characters. Now, when you do that, are you reading in the same room with your actors or are you just require just recording your part of it? Uh, yeah, so unfortunately, we haven't had the chance to do a live recording with everybody yet. Um, I definitely want to try to do that with either episode six or just kind of some of our future episodes. So for the most part, yeah, I, I just go through and I just record it right here at this desk. I just plug in my mic and then just get after it. So how long does it take you to generally record your parts? Is that something that takes you, you know, you go through a couple times? Or do you just trust your gut and get it, you know, this is where it's at and we're going to, we're going to launch it. Mm -hmm. I think it, for the most part, kind of depends on the line. Uh, if it's something, you know, where a little bit more emotion might be needed or, you know, a certain voice tone might be needed, then yeah, I'll probably do a few takes until I get the one that's just right. But then there are other times when I get lucky and then the first take is just perfect and I just use that. Now, because you guys are doing ensemble cast, do you also use sound effects? Yes, yes. Uh, so at the moment, I'm using, I think the company's name is Big Films, I believe. Uh, they make a lot of different sound packs, and I'm using their sci-fi pack as well as their chaos weapons pack for the most part uh, for a lot of just the ship sound effects, gunfire, explosions, et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's definitely worked so far. And from for certain things such as room tone or you know things like that, I'll go through. I'll just find something on YouTube that's royalty free, and I'll usually use that. Though there are times when I'll have to kind of go through and kind of create my own sounds. So I'll go through and and kind of record something on the fly here. And uh, there are times when that'll work. Uh, we had a, a ship booting up sequence in I believe episode two. And I actually had to use a few things around the house in order to go through and create it. Oh, what did you use? Uh, my light switch for the actual switches on the panel. Um, there was a some kind of tubing that I used for the actual kind of just spooling up of the engines because it worked beautifully. Okay. And then for the ship actually taking off itself. I used uh, footage from a, I believe it was a NASA launch that I actually went through and used it for from. Okay. Now, have you ever watched any of the behind the scenes or how the movies are made, films that are out there where they show some of the creative ways uh, the Hollywood industry has made some of the sound effects as well? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's always really interesting. Uh, definitely gotten a lot of uh, inspiration from those for sure. Okay. Um, so, you know, dreaming big is I'm assuming at some point you're going to set up an ACX page for your samples of your work and, uh, maybe even a website that includes some 
some samples. Uh, assuming people start throwing projects at you, because you said you, you would be interested in doing more because you're having fun. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think you decide what stories you take? Are you just going to take everything that comes at you at first, or are you going to try to limit yourself by genre? Uh, for now, at least when it comes to audio and stuff like that, I'd likely go through and limit myself by genre, uh, primarily just because, you know, military sci-fi and just modern day stuff, that's just what I'm used to. I've always kind of had an ear for those. Um, so I probably wouldn't take, you know, things like fantasy or anything like that, at least not yet. But in the future, I would absolutely want to branch out. Okay. So you write sci-fi, you narrate sci-fi, you do so in dialogue. So how do you go about determining how you're going to pronounce all the weird sci-fi names and places that authors love to throw in there? <laughs> uh, for that, I usually just go with what works, what sounds good, honestly. Um, some of our, even some of our planets, you know, they just kind of roll off the tongue. They, they sound like actually, like they might be actual planets like, uh, Azarel, Rialza, um, Misari, which hasn't shown up yet, Tagzet, uh, Tia, though both of those are named after Haida death gods, but that's a conversation for another time. But things like those, um, I just go with what, what feels right and what makes grammatical sense. Okay. So have you had any alien creatures in your universe yet? No, not yet. And we likely never will. Um, when I set out to create this series, I kind of set out to do something to where this is a sci-fi based on reality. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that... You know, we're going to get the exact science of how, you know, faster than light travel will work. We're still going to be taking creative liberties in some aspects. But for the most part, when it comes to just overall storyline, um, Reentry is a series that very much is kind of based on how things could potentially go in the future. And, um, you know, in our timeline video on YouTube, it starts off with the dragon from SpaceX launching in uh, in 2020. And it just kind of builds up from there. You know, we start seeing uh, space exploration get increasingly privatized and, you know, things just kind of take off from there. Okay. So assuming, obviously, you're not going to potentially have them in this universe, but you could potentially dictate or narrate, excuse me, alien creatures, how do you think you're going to go about doing their voices to make them both understandable and non-human? Is mm -hmm. that something you've put a lot of thought into yet? Uh, I have not, but I think I would absolutely take some inspiration from how Hunt the Truth did the uh, the KGR. Okay. It was, you could understand them, but it was very, very much alien, you know, with, you know, the clicking with you know, just certain vocal tones that they had kind of all meshed into one that it made the kick yard as terrifying as they would be in the lore. And I definitely think that I probably take some inspiration from there. Now, you've listened to that. So was that something that the voice actor just did from, from raw skill or did they have some sound effects they built in to the narration? Uh, with that, I believe... Most of it was likely raw skill, but I definitely think that they had to have some uh, some kind of back-end audio editing into that for sure. 
anybody who's seen the old Police Academy movies with that one character, and if you know, you know, you know you can do amazing things with your, or some people can, I can't, but can do amazing things with their vocal cords. So you never know what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, do, well, it doesn't really, I was going to say, you know, normally we ask narrators if they get upset because some people do, some don't about people listening at faster speeds, but I don't know that that really works with the way you're presenting because you're almost doing it like a TV episode, but it's just mm-hmm. the old radio show programs like they used to have back before television was a thing. Yeah. So I don't know that the people speeding it up is actually going to work for that because. Yeah, it definitely like, wouldn't. Uh, there's a sound there effects. When you add sound effects, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I definitely think there'd be a bit that people would miss if they if they sped things up. Uh, you know, even certain audio cues will kind of indicate where a story might go at some point. So right now you just, um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and the, those cues make a add to the impact. Mm-hmm. So right now you said you just record at your desk as you start getting more into this. Do you think at some point you're going to build yourself a little mini, um, recording studio or. Yeah, I definitely think I can. Um, how funny thing is my dad actually has one. So if I needed to, I could potentially use his. We actually did for, for uh, a couple of episodes already. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that at some point I would absolutely love to go through and kind of have a recording studio for sure. So your dad's a voice actor as well, or is he do use it for music? Yeah. My dad is using it for, uh, for music. Okay. I mean the, the acoustics and all of that, that matter to it are going to be the same. So yeah. Um, the trick is, is depending on where you live, uh, ambient temperature. I've heard Veronica Jaguar talk about how she has to have her AC off and she lives in Florida so mm-hmm. she can record. And that sounds like that might be torture in the summer. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, how, even in, even in my room, uh, it's, it gets hot as hell up here at, at times. And, uh, you know, sometimes if room tone is just too loud, I uh, can go through and kind of mess with, with certain lines or even just recordings of sound effects. Okay. So right now, are you only um, narrating one of the characters or do you have a couple of them that you're doing? Uh, so far I have done Kepler and Void, I believe were the only ones I think I've done so far. Though I could have sworn I did another one, but so I how can't do you, remember at the time. Well, then that clearly shows that we need to ask the next question. So how do you think you're going to keep those organized as you start adding in more characters or you know new works that you're doing in other for other people's universes Mm -hmm. uh so with that i think it's honestly pretty simple because with kepler was just my normal speaking voice didn't really try to go through and do any real accents with that or anything like that and then void i ended up putting on some kind of european accent it wasn't exactly british but it wasn't like it wasn't perfect, but it worked for what I needed at the time. Okay. So what have because you're both the the writer, obviously, for this. Like we've hinted at a or hinted like we beat you over the head with it for crying out loud. <laughs> so what have you learned since you started doing the narration part of it that affects the way you tell stories that you could then use to give as advice to other authors that are like, yeah, I'd like to work with a voice actor because not all indies can afford it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in terms of tips that I could give, whether somebody is trying to go through and get into this themselves as an as a voice actor, or 
whether they're or even whether or not or even just if they're just looking for one um the one thing i can definitely say is take your time with casting on the casting side you know don't just jump the gun with with someone just because you think their voice sounds good go through do your research listen to multiple people you might just find somebody that'll go through and just absolutely knock it out of the park for you and on the actual voice acting side is again virtually the same thing take your time try not to overthink a line uh at least in our series in particular you don't have to have your voice so animated at least not in a series like this i'm not saying that you know that's always going to be the case you know, there are going to be certain genres and certain series where you will have to kind of over-animate your voice. But, you know, with something like this, you know, just slow it down, take your time, and um, just level speaking voice and uh, kind of just go through and add in that emotion that, you know, those voice inflections where you need to. And obviously enunciate, because that's key if you, if you mumble the words together. Unless that's intentional, because sometimes, you know, I could see a character mumbling in certain situations, but mm -hmm. that's not an all the time thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did, have you found that some words are harder to say than others that you like avoid? Uh, so far I haven't luckily though, as we start getting into creating our own language for, for Gollum by then that's absolutely going to be a nightmare whenever we start getting into that point. But for the most part, I haven't really found any that are too much of an issue just yet. Okay. So when you want to reach, uh, when you want to make your own language, reach out. We had a, a lady we interviewed who did that. And there's actually apparently professionals, they call it conlang, con, conlang, contrived languages, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but she said that there's uh there's actually a science to making it. So your language would be actually understood. It would follow grammatical patterns and, in theory, someone could pick it up and actually speak it as opposed to what a lot of people will do. Well, they'll just throw some gibberish down. That's like mm -hmm. a mix of whatever, but it doesn't translate to anything because it's not possible to be translated. So if you're looking to make a legitimate language, there are professionals out there that, that do that. So we'll yeah. have to uh, put you in touch with some people. Oh yeah, absolutely. We, uh, yeah, well, we definitely want Dolan Bai's language to be perfect for sure. So, where do you see the um, the series going? Like, or obviously you're you're you know recording episodes. Does it have an end date, or does this this one of those stories that'll go on as long as there's an interest? Mm -hmm. So with Lone Wolf, we have it to where we know exactly how many episodes are going to be in Lone Wolf. Um, getting into Snowfall, we're not sure just yet. Because uh, there are two ways that we can do it. We can either split it up into, I think we it was either two seasons or we can split it up into about four or five. Which I think from a storytelling perspective, that might be a little better. Right. Um, but for the most part, I think Reentry can turn into a pretty big franchise one day. As long as we just keep cracking on and just keep getting after it. Okay. Um, are you working on other, like, obviously you can't tell us what is going on behind the scenes. That would be spoilers, but as, aside from the reentry project, are you working on other projects as well? Uh, not at the moment. Um, so there is one in the entire reentry space that I can talk about. Uh, that, that's going to be a, uh, we're working on an animation 
pretty soon. Um, and it kind of falls with under those uh, those art pieces that I sent you the other day, you know, with the uh, the direct energy rifle and the uh, plate carrier. Um, it's pretty much just going to be a probably five to ten minute short animation of just a special operations marine unit in in the reentry time frame, just hitting a compound. And the idea behind this is to almost treat it as an animated proof of concept. We want, we're wanting to kind of show people what an operation in Snowfall will look like when we get to that point and what kind of quality we're going to be able to go through and deliver. So the gear is going to be pretty much accurate to what you're going to see in the series uh, once we get to Snowfall. Uh, so oh, we'll hold on, hold on for just a second. So this yep. is what he's talking about. If you're looking at the screen, if you're listening, you know, it's just he has model about um, graphic designers creating what the some of the plate carriers would look like, um, you know, to go with what they're doing on the digital viewing side. Um, so this is one of their rifles. Can you tell us about this rifle? It has an interesting look, too. But yeah, so that rifle we designated as the uh, A114 uh, from JC Kinetics in the uh, in the series. Now, our guy, Digital Gunsmith on Instagram, did both the plate carrier and the uh, and the rifle. But for the most part, how we're handling directed energy weapons is not going to be like other series to where, you know, you're going to see guys pretty much just firing forever without, you know, without reloading or anything like that. With us, we, again, we wanted to take a more realistic approach. So what we did was we took a, I believe it was a Springfield rifle. I'm not entirely sure which one. Actually, yes, I do. It was the Springfield ATC. But we took that, kind of skeletonized it, uh, combined an EOTech Voodoo with a Maztec scope, and just kind of went from there. Now, the way that direct energy weapons are going to work in-universe are, one, they cannot be suppressed. Uh, that's just not how they're going to be able to work in the series. Two, they are still going to eject cases, except these cases are going to have a compressed gas in them that once superheated will turn into a directed energy uh, bolt, you know, much like you would see in Star Wars or virtually any other sci-fi series out there. And um, directed energy weapons are also going to be prone to, not necessarily prone to overheating, but they're going to be used in different ways than ballistic. So if a set of characters is, say, raiding a ship, uh, doing conducting a ship boarding, they're not going to want to use ballistic weaponry because they might put a hole in the ship. But if they use directed energy, they don't have to worry about that because the the metal on the hull will go through and disperse that uh, that heat evenly and won't cause any major lasting damage. Okay. All right, that makes sense. Um, so without giving, you know, we obviously don't want to give spoilers. We're going to link to all of the reentry project uh, social medias, to your social media. Um, is there anything about this universe that you just want to tell people before we wrap this up that you think they should know? Yeah. Um, I think that it's definitely good to know going into the series that this is not every other sci-fi series you're going to hear certain things in the series that that are going to be 
very similar to modern day stuff. You're going to be able to kind of draw comparisons, but it's it's not exactly one of those sci-fi series where you're not going to be able to relate to it. You know, you're going to be able to relate to the characters, to you know what's going on in it, but we're not going to be shoving any kind of political agenda down anyone's throat. We don't want to do that. We know that's not what you're here for. You're here for a good story and some good action. That's what we're focused on. So going into re-entry, you know, whatever you think is going to happen, probably won't. You know, this is a series where we have everything planned out by the second. And storyline-wise, I think the ending to, uh, to Lone Wolf is absolutely going to blow people away when we get to that point. So, obviously, this is on YouTube, and so unless you get a bazillion like views, you're not making a whole any any money really, because you've got to re- reach a lot of benchmarks to even monetize on mm-hmm. um, on YouTube. So, how are you guys funding this? Is this something you're just paying for as a passion project? Do you have a um, some sort of Patreon for people? Mm-hmm. So right now we're pretty much just paying for all of it out of pocket, unfortunately, which sucks, but I mean, that's just how it is. Uh, We're working on a Patreon. It's not live just yet, because there's a lot that we still need to work on. Um, But ideally, I'm hoping to have it out inside of the next three months. And once it is live, you know, people will be able to get their hands on, you know, what we're calling Intel packages. So that'll include a bunch of kind of in-universe you know, stuff that will go through and give you even more context to what you might be hearing in an episode. So whether that's a uh, a physical classified document, whether that's um, helmet cam footage, intercepted comms, uh, so on and so forth. There's a there's a lot that we've got planned for it, but may not be out for a while, but we'll see. Okay, so this is the part where I remind you, dear listener, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. In this case, that's the like button, the follow, the subscribe button over there on the YouTubes. It helps tweak the algorithms. If you want to make a comment, even if it's just to say, hey, I really like this, that also helps the algorithm suggest this to new people and it helps the uh, organic discoverability of his what he's doing. So everything you can do to uh, to engage, share it on the you uh, share the YouTube video on all your social medias. That helps as well. But uh, you can do your part and help spread the word if you like what he's doing. If you like the episodes, uh, helping other people find it is is huge, uh, especially for something that's a project of love that he's doing out of pocket and not really making any money on yet. So uh, so we highly encourage you, dear listeners, to do the things. Uh, with that being said, Brandon, can you tell people how they can find you on the uh, internet? And we'll link all of that in the show notes. Yeah, so I have, I'm actually on IMDb now, which kind of blows my mind. We never actually knew how to create one of those. Um, But yeah, IMDb, Instagram, Facebook, you know, I'm pretty much on everything that most people have these days. Nice. And as as part of prepping for this show, we found out that the uh, Blasters and Blades podcast is on IMDb as well. Uh, I don't know how that happened because I've forgotten the website even existed, but apparently we're over there. I guess that makes us professionals or something. <laughs> so you can find us, aside from IMDb, 
website. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blaze podcast you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on these shows aren't free to produce there is overhead uh and so everything you can do to contribute is greatly appreciated dear listener dear viewer or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes. They will hear colors and see sounds by the time we get them done being caffeinated people. Uh, but you got to do your part and make that happen. So... Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And before we let you go, uh, Brandon, thank you for coming on the show. We had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. We, because there's only me now. I'm not speaking in the royal third person, people. Just a creature of habit. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. But if since Doc's not here to say no, you can all call me your highness or king and stuff. I'll take it. You know, <laughs> we gotta we gotta set the bar somewhere. So might as well aim for the stars. All right. Thank you for coming. And uh, we're gonna have some of your other uh, co-creators on the digital side on to talk about some of that digital creating. So uh, when Nick gets back from his super secret stealth waterboarding, whatever border patrol does, okay, they don't really waterboard people. That was a joke. Uh, when he's back from that, we're gonna set up and and him. Uh, Nick Garber and your your digital guy are going to talk about all things artsy fartsy, so uh, so that'll be fun as well. And with that being said, have a nice evening, people.